You are listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast by The Crossing on how to live into God's bigger story. Hi, I'm Dave Cover. I'm your host for A Bigger Life. I'm also one of the pastors here at The Crossing in Columbia, Missouri. I'm excited about today's episode because I got to sit down with three women who are all involved in one way or another in ministry at The Crossing. I talked to Rachel Johnson, a Crossing Kids curriculum writer and super volunteer whom you also may recognize as the wife of one of our worship leaders, Scott Johnson. We also have Brittany Hughes, formerly a Crossing Kids intern, and Gimel Sabingo, one of our part-time staff who also sings on the worship team. She's that tall black girl that usually sings in the middle of the stage. I want you to get to know them because they all have unique stories. But what I'm most excited about is that they're part of a group they formed that's trying to live into God's bigger story for racial reconciliation. This past year, they've explored how the gospel informs our involvement in issues of culture, race, and identity that, to be honest, ended up being a better conversation than I thought it would be going in. So I hope you listen, stick with us as we discuss these issues with these three fantastic women. Rachel, why don't you talk a little bit about how, when you first started coming to The Crossing and what you do, what ministries you're involved in at The Crossing? Yeah, I've been at The Crossing, like Dave said, for 17 years. Um, I came as a college student. Um, Back in the early days of The Crossing, there weren't many people here. Stevens Um, College, college student. Stevens College. Always a little extra tude there. Stevens College, (laughs) college student, yes. Um, And I... I always say I became a Christian at the crossing. I, I, in ways, knew Jesus. I grew up going to church, but I came to the crossing and um, <clears throat> just developed a faith that has really lasted, changed my life. Um, like Dave said, I met Scott, my husband. You also here, developed a relationship with Scott, yeah. And also developed a relationship with him. Not a hotter and, man than the worship leader uh, on a Sunday morning. To a, that is true. To a college co ed. That is true. There's hope, ladies. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, um, and then from, let's see, uh, somewhere along the way, I just discovered I love working with kids. Um, I discovered that in working at Crossing Kids. Um, majored in education, and I actually came on staff full-time with The Crossing for a little while as director of Crossing Kids. Um, I got my master's at Stevens College, and um, now I stay home with master's three in education. kids. Master's in education at Stevens. And you're home. pretty darn good at it, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I, you I, I see things that you do with your own kids, and I also hear things you do with other kids, and I think you're 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 in the top one percent when it comes to people who are really good at this kind of thing. I agree. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Well, I love it. I love helping kids learn. And um, right now at home with my three kids, I'm helping them learn. I'm homeschooling. My daughter will be in first grade this year. Um, I have a son who's preschool age and a two-year-old. We all so. wish we could go back in time and be raised by Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think every day. <laughs> it was chaos at my house this morning. You might not say that uh, yeah. if you were there. Yeah. And then, and then uh, talk to us a little bit, Brittany, about what who you are, what your background is, and what your ministries you're involved in at The Crossing. Yeah, so my name is Brittany Hughes. I started going to The Crossing almost four years ago. Um, I was new to town. I just moved here from Bama and had friends that attended the crossing. Bama being Alabama. Alabama. Roll Tide. <laughs> um, had friends that attended the crossing. And so that was my introduction to the church at large. Um, and then maybe like 
a month or two within being here, one of my really good friends, Susie Verhagen, told me about Crossing Kids and that they had an intern spot available. So I would say um, Crossing Kids is definitely the way that I've gotten to feel um, like there's a family for me here at the church and like uh, it's a place that I want to be and want to spend my time. Uh, so yeah, that's my introduction to. And then, then you also, I see you work at the front desk at the crossing. Yeah, I am the resident desk gal when Kay Fitzpatrick needs a break. And I heard you. I was in the back r- room, and I could hear you telling somebody that you're actually the one in charge of the church, and that the pastors are just puppet figures. <laughs> I, I literally heard fit. her saying that. <laughs> I, I, I just started cracking up. I thought that was awesome. Brittany became one of my favorite people after that. <laughs> And then Gimel, tell us a little bit about about yourself and what ministries you're involved with at the cross. My name is Gimel Sabingo. Um, my voice sounds a little weird today because I have a cold, so bear with me. Um, I am originally nothing more rewarding than being able to do a podcast with a cold. That's right. Having to breathe <laughs> through your mouth and talk through your mouth at the same time. I was born in Angola, which is a country in southern Africa, um, but I grew up in Portugal. And about seven years ago, I came to the United States for college. And three years ago, I came to Columbia, Missouri to, do, to get my master's in journalism. Um, I started going to the crossing right away. As soon as I arrived here, I felt it was really important for me to get plugged into a church right away because I didn't know anybody in Columbia. So you were a Christian when you came to yes, the United States? Yes, I was a Christian. Grew I grew up, a up Christian in a Christian in home. Um, my mom and her side of the family are um, devout Christians. Um, we're all dedicated to living a life for Christ. And she taught us, my sister, she taught my sister and I well in that um, regard. Um, so I've always loved singing and I've always been involved in worship to some capacity, either at church or whatever, whatever other ministries I was involved in. So my small group leader, Heather Cox, holla Heather, if you're listening, um, she encouraged me actually to audition for the um, worship team through the music team here. And so I emailed Scott and he was like, yeah, come on in. And I auditioned and I started singing. uh, I think it was a good Friday of 2015. So I am the tall black girl that you see often sing on the worship team every Sunday. With the beautiful voice. Thank you. Yep. Mm-hmm. I love doing it. I think using my talents for God is one of the most rewarding things that I, that anyone could ever, that I could ever have ever experienced. And to see how it's blessed people has been amazing as well. Well, you've made so. us a better church. I mean, it's awesome to hear you. No. That's true. Awesome is going to be over you. So I want to try to use a different word. It's a, it's a, it's, it's fantastic to see you sing on Sunday mornings Thank because um, I can see you getting into it more. I mean, I think as you're learning as a yes, disciple, definitely I'm growing. it's influencing how you sing. And I've watched that over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And also I just think your presence up there is one that I find it easier to, to worship and to want to sing. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes people have a, a, a je ne sais quoi. You don't know quite what it is, but their singing makes you want to sing. And I think you have that. Praise uh, God. Let's, Amen. let's get in this for a minute though. Uh, you, you, born in Angola, mm-hmm. raised in Portugal. Yes. Um, why? Why why not Angola? What happened there? Well, Angola is a what people would consider a third world country. Um it's in the process of development, but it's still the especially at the time that I went I went in 1994, I believe, 95 maybe that we moved to Portugal. So, we were still under civil war at the Angola. time. Angola was still under civil war and the education wasn't that great. And what 
usually happens with families with means in Angola, if they have the chance, they send their kids abroad to go to school or they move abroad around that time. Um, so my dad is a man of means, so he sent my family and I to go to Portugal. And Portugal is, Angola is a formerly, formerly colonized country by Portugal. So Portugal colonized. It's a former Portuguese colony. colony. Yeah. So it's very common. It's the same language, kind of same culture. So they it's speak very Portuguese common. in Angola. Yes, yes. So it's very common for there to be Angolans in Portugal and Portuguese in Angola. So that's kind of what it was. We were Angolan immigrants to Portugal, but I am now a Portuguese citizen. So, so you're not an Angolan citizen. I am. I'm both. You're double. Yes. Portuguese, Angolan Portuguese citizen and living Angolan. in the United States. That's right. So third culture kid. You speak Portuguese. That's your native tongue. That's your yes. That's first, my first language. And, and English is your second language. Yes. Do you speak? Is there an Angolan dialect that? Um, there are several languages, Angolan languages, language from Angola, but I don't speak any. <laughs> so if you <laughs> if you know Gamel, you know that you wouldn't know she's African. I mean, I don't think unless mm-hmm. you just were really good at hearing a slight, slight, slight accent. I, yeah, I and I like to hear. explain that I attended American schools in Portugal. So since I was six years old, which is not common, it was just something that my mom wanted us to go to Christian schools. And the only Christian schools in Portugal were Ameri- from like American missionaries um, built these schools. Mm. So my sister and I attended them. So I developed a very American accent because I had American friends. I consumed a lot of American culture, movies, music. So that's why I don't have an accent. Yeah. And, so you're, and you are a typical American of your age. I mean, yeah. it, it seems to me. But let's get into that a little bit too. You, you, you described yourself as the black woman, the tall black woman who yes. sits on stage. So, so what are the terms? I've always wanted to have an honest conversation about this. What are the terms? I know you guys don't speak for your entire yeah. ethnicity, so nobody's asking you to do that here. But what are the terms that you prefer when somebody is re- referring to your ethnicity and what are the terms that you prefer when somebody's referring to my ethnicity? You know, we had Dr. Dawson speak here on Sunday mornings at the crossing on just the African American church in America. And uh, he made, he went on a five minute excursion talking about the terms, that, reasons why he didn't like the terms black and white. And I think we can all, when you say it like that, black and white, it does sound like culturally black and white has been something separate and also there are connotations of good and evil purity and impurity and so i've always been uncomfortable referring to myself as white Mm -hmm. i'm not white if you look at my skin against a white sheet of paper it's clearly Mm -hmm. dark um i don't know what to call myself you know i looked up caucasian in the dictionary and it says people from the region of the caucasus mountains well that's not me (laughs) yeah Um, (laughs) So I honestly don't know what to refer to myself as. Um, I'm kind of pink like a pig's belly. So maybe I should refer to myself as pink like a pig's belly. Um, but, and then, and then I always catch myself having a little bit of a hiccup if I'm talking to an African-American or an African in your case, Gimel, and trying to describe somebody of your ethnicity and describe somebody of my ethnicity. I, I, I just feel like I'm, I'm down several chips at that point because I'm not sure I'm going to use the right terminology that's going to be either offensive or seen as uneducated when it Mm -hmm. comes to just racial sensitivity 
in our cultures? I'd say black is what I'm most comfortable with. Like, I don't mind people call me black, especially because my English sounds very American. And, and if people were to look at me from afar, they wouldn't know that I'm African. So a lot of people refer to me as African-American, even though I am not African-American. I'm African. And Africans and African-Americans have different experiences in the United States as well. So to be called African-American would kind of be probably be a little inaccurate because I don't have I can't say I have the same experience as an African-American has here in the United States. But black, I think black, maybe it's because I'm younger. I'm 25 years old and black is kind of a term that's come up for our generation so we're kind of comfortable with that and I, I try not to shy away from black like I'm black and I'm proud yeah. <laughs> to be black yeah. um, and I think even though people still think about black white as color um, there are a lot of political connotations that come along with it and then language changes and adapts according to time and, and yeah because I noticed so, a news release the other day about the NAACP yeah. National Association of American Colored People. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know anybody who's black that refers to themselves as, as colored, colored people. yeah. So you talk about an outdated term, and yet that's what they identify themselves as. Right. As an organization. Yeah. yeah. So it's difficult yeah. to know which way to go. You know, what do you, what, how, what do you refer to black people, African Americans? Uh, what about you, Brittany? What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I would say for me, I don't really think there's one uh, that's right or wrong. I'm not, you know, going to pop off on someone if they call me black or African-American. I think I, too, identify more with black. Uh, more so just because I don't think I ever really understood why everyone but white folks were hyphenated. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just something that never really connected in my brain. And, you know, is that because they're the standard or what does this mean? Uh, not being able really to make, I think that's a really to good make point. sense I of that. that before. Us yeah, I think I identify with black more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of my favorite... Um, folks came out of the 80s and the 90s mm-hmm. and i think back then with the you got your tupac hat on yeah tupac. Tupac. yeah i gave away my age and my race at that point tupac i'm an old white guy there's tupac i see y'all got that tupac hat on yeah Is that so. a cigarette <laughs> I think that uh, black is what I would most commonly refer to myself as. And I think it's more more inclusive um, of all the people that are um, black skinned Mm -hmm. in our country. So let's get into it a little bit because you raised the fact, Gimel, that being from Africa, Africa and Portugal and coming to the United States, you have a different background. You have a different experience growing up, although you're black. Your experience is different. Uh, is there a kind of bigotry might be too strong of a word racism doesn't fit but is there a kind of a a stereotyping of each other whether you had the african-american experience versus the african experience is there a racism for lack of a better term between africans and african-americans in Um, in the united states i wouldn't say there's a racism between them i think there's just uh cultural differences that might be felt mostly by the Africans, um, feeling like they don't really belong with white people, but then they don't fully like fit in with black Americans because they don't have the same experiences. So what tends to happen is, and it's happening, it has happened to me in the past year, is we tend to uh, assimilate, and I can't speak for every African, 
Um, We'd like you to right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I've tried to assimilate in, in, uh, into black American culture. So whether that means um, learning as much as I can about what black Americans go through or checking out American music that comes from African Americans, listening to African American radio shows, um, watching African American movies. I know that even when we've been discussing the kinds of movies we've seen or haven't seen, like Love and Basketball. That Air is Bud. an American classic, right? Yes. <laughs> it's a it's a black it's considered to be a black movie, but I've never seen it because it's a black American movie. So differences like that, trying to watch those movies so that I have so that I'm able to talk to African Americans and get to know them. But there are so many um, similar experiences that we have that bring us together and that I would probably feel more comfortable in a setting with African-Americans than in a setting with um, white Americans, mostly because there are a lot of like the value of family. Not that white Americans don't value family, but- We hate our families. (laughs) (laughs) But usually in African-American circles, extended families are a big part of everyday life. Like you have cousins and your aunties and everyone. That's very similar to African culture the the love for dance i know not every african-americans dance but we love to dance we love music we love to celebrate in that way that comes from african culture and then even like the music has some background in african culture so there are some similarities but there are some cultural differences that are felt as well so i don't know how what you would say Brittany. no i feel like you summed it up pretty perfectly um i think being black in America specifically, you're not really connected to one place because quite yeah. frankly, a lot of us just don't know where we come from. Um, and so I think that some of that is lost culturally because we don't have the opportunity to really like research that and know that for sure to tie into whatever part of Africa we're from. Um, but I do think that there is a mutual respect for culture mm-hmm. um, and definitely an appreciation for Africans who are not from America to share yeah. some of that culture with us because again, like, that's not really something that we are privy to or privileged to have. Mm-hmm. When you first met Gamel, Brittany, did you have a certain level of prejudice against her? Like, like she's not one of us? Nah. No. Nah. No, because we're both black. So it's like, yeah. you're, my There's si- a co- you're my sister. A collective shared history and struggle there mm-hmm. in yeah. a lot of ways that I think makes some of the other stuff kind of trivial. And yeah. then African-American friends that I have helped me process experiences that i have here as a black person not as an african person but as a black person so i'm able to process it with them because they've been here around longer and they know what the climate is like too so you both attend the crossing you both are a key part of the crossing you're both involved in ministries at the crossing and you more than anybody then knows what it's like to be a black person at a predominantly white church like the crossing and living frankly in a predominantly white community like columbia so the last statistic I saw, 11% of Colombia is African-American. So even if the crossing were going to reflect Colombia, we would have 11% of our population be mm-hmm. African-American. So in that sense, we would always be a predominantly white church, even if we perfectly reflected the culture. What is it like for you to attend the crossing as a black person? I would say it looks different now, um, especially since our group has met together and having that sense of community. But prior to that, it was really hard. Um, For me, I'm very used to navigating predominantly white circles, and that's not new to me in particular, but not having uh, kind of black folks to fall back on 
was something that took some getting used to here in Colombia. Um, I think one thing that was really helpful for me uh, was just one, seeing uh, kind of the opportunity that I had um, to walk into a lot of spaces and be a lot of people's quote unquote first black friend and uh, dismantle a lot of the stereotypes that I think people have. Um, that was really important to me. And then especially with Crossing Kids, uh, me and Alex Carruth were the only two. Uh, she Alex. was mixed race. Yeah. Or is yeah. mixed race. Um, but she still exists. She, she identifies <laughs> as a black woman. Um, and so I think that it was really uh, nice to have her on the team. And when she left, it, you know, sucked a little bit. Um, but I think having someone there that has walked through that with me was definitely pretty helpful. Uh, and just knowing the responsibility that I had and when uh, parents who have black children or non-white children mm -hmm. come downstairs to see someone who looks like your kids in leadership, I think was really important. Mm -hmm. um, and so there were times that I definitely wanted to be over it. And, you know, I'm going to go down the street here to this church where everyone looks like me. Um, but to me, that was the easy way out. And mm -hmm. I don't like to come by it easy. So. Right. So what you're saying is as much as you enjoy the crossing and, and those who know you don't feel any distance whatsoever with your race, you're just mixing it up and having a great time with people and you enjoy being with the community of the crossing and the community of crossing seems to be in my mind a good fit for you. What you're saying here is underneath there still is a sense of a burden you're always carrying or something you're always aware of that's always kind of on the back burner of your psyche. For sure. Yeah. 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 I don't think um, either one of us are at the point in our lives where we want to assimilate to be like everyone else. I think that being black is, you know, awesome. And mm -hmm. there's history there that's really cool and a lot to share with folks. So I never want to d diminish that, you know, mm -hmm. um, whereas in the past, I for sure think that I would have wanted to blend in to the crowd and kind of erase some of it. You yeah. know. Yeah. 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 What about you, Gimel? Um, I've had similar experiences as well. I'm also used to being in mostly white circles. Growing um, up in Portugal. Growing up in Portugal. College in America. Yeah. But even Colombia is a unique place because even we lived in Lisbon, which is an urban area. So um, my mom had connections with the immigrant community. And um, so it's very easy to be connected to African culture there, to black people, and it's more diverse. And then... The, ra the racial climate in Europe is a little different than it is here in the United States. Um, and then I went to college in San Diego initially. So even though there weren't a lot of black people that I was hanging out with, um, there were a lot of Latinos, which there's a lot of similarities in culture between Latinos and Angolans and African culture. So I still felt like I could talk to someone about what it meant to be different. Um, so it was really, it was difficult at first to come to the crossing as a black person. Um, I never felt discriminated against or anything like that because I found loving people to be in community with. And, but there is, like you, like you said, that bit of a burden and that sense that you're alone mm -hmm. and that um, there's something very powerful about seeing someone that looks like you either from the stage or someone that looks like you that you can go and talk to. Or um, I remember when I started visiting some of the black churches in the area just for the different music events that we would have together, um, I would see older women that would remind me of my mom. And it was simply because they were black, you know, and 
there is a comfort in that to see people that look like me to worship with them. Um, so like Brittany though, no, not, not completely, even though that has changed once we're going to talk about the group in a second, but once we started, the group has changed a lot, but I see God working at the crossing though. And even through me being on the worship team, I know that Ricky used to sing with us before, but I don't know if you've had other, um, black people sing on the worship team or a lot. Um, so yeah, I think you were our, besides Ricky back in the earliest days and then he moved to Kansas city and then recently moved back and he sings, I think besides him, I don't think we had another black person until you started singing. Yeah. So, and I felt the shift immediately once I started singing, then Andrea joined the worship team. Um, and I don't think that might've happened if, if there wasn't another person there yeah. who was black as well. And I started seeing more black people out in the audience. I don't know if that's a real thing that happened or not, but <laughs> no, I, I think it, I think it's a real thing. you know I think it's the kind of thing you mentioned that when people see someone that looks like them on stage, mm-hmm. yeah, and there's it, it says you're welcome here. There's a place for you here. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think that has caused slowly more and more African Americans to come to the crossing as their yeah. church home. And I'm, I'm really grateful that God used me in that way and that he is using me in that way. And I want to be, you know, I want to be someone who can be representative of, hey, like, I want African-Americans to feel comfortable in this church. If I have to be on stage for that to happen, I will do it. Mm-hmm. But I also want other white people to feel like, hey, you know, you can come talk to me and you can be friends with me and, you know, we can love person. each other. Yeah, we can love each other and get to know each other yeah. despite our race and despite the racial right. climate. So I love what you said, Brittany, about being down there for the children and the kids and crossing kids, uh, for those who are black and they're coming to a big church, big predominantly white church for the first time. You want to be seen by those kids as a black person who looks like them. And you're part of the part of the crossing kids. I love that. And I love that mission you have in your mind. I think that's really helpful for our church and helpful for those families. Thank you. Yeah. Let's let's switch gears for a moment. What I'd like to do is talk about, and the reason why Rachel's here, is talk about the group that you all have been involved in. Mm-hmm. Rachel, why don't you explain a little bit about what the group is when it started, what the purpose of it mm-hmm. was is? So a little over a year ago, Scott and I were friends with Kimel, Andrea, Brittany. All of a sudden, God put friends in my life of color, which I never... Brittany because she was in... Crossing Kids. Kids. Mm-hmm. Kimel yep. because she was on the, the worship, worship team. team. Andrea, Andrea worship team. team. Makes sense. Um, and others. David Clark, Ricky. I mean, but all of a sudden, I felt like, wow, I have these friends of color. And they are saying these things to me that I do not understand. I do not understand the um, hurt that was happening at Mizzou. I did not understand all of the nuances with Ferguson. I started feeling like I have a real um, disconnect emotionally from some of these things that I'm reading in the news or from things that people experience. You felt uneducated. I felt very uneducated. Um, I started to really wrestle with that at a spiritual level. How am I going to be friends um, with Kimel and Brittany when they're struggling with things that I I don't get. They're angry over things that you don't understand why they're angry. I don't feel, I I didn't feel any anger. Honestly, I looked at Ferguson when it happened as, that's too bad, we should pray for them. Why are they only, they're all burning down their own communities. And And my friends are mad and I can't figure out why. I don't understand why, exactly. So I, I came from a place of, 
well, I'm not racist. I, I love everybody. I'll be friends with anybody. But when it came down to having an intelligent conversation or having true empathy for a situation, I really struggled to, um, to go there. And I started wrestling with it at a spiritual level of what does it mean to love people who are different than me? Um, it's not just, oh, I have a black friend or, oh, I, I, it's not my fault if there's not a lot of diversity at my church or my workplace. But it's almost as um, if you started to see yourself as a white American Christian. For the first time, I realized it. That had been normal to me. And um, I think many white people view that as normal. And I started to feel that that was wrong in a way that I needed to wrestle with what well, is your perspective normal. Was limited. Yes, yeah, my perspective was completely limited. Um, so I really um, wanted to understand more. And both Scott and I, I remember one night specifically, Gimel is at our house, and we're talking about some of the events at Mizzou that were unfolding, and why Gimel was so upset about it. And Scott and I were really wrestling to understand why and how these things were so troubling. And Gimal was so gracious to just walk us through step by step all these little pieces and the things that had happened and the things that she's seen since being in Columbia. And, and by that point, you trusted her because she had become right, a friend. Right. She'd become a friend. And we, we didn't have this. This conversation wasn't the first conversation mm -hmm. we had. This had, you know, over time. Um, and I felt safe to ask ignorant questions and she was gracious to answer Scott's and my ignorant questions. Um, and both Scott and I came away from that conversation with a true sense of, wow, there's so much we don't know. We need to learn and we need to shut up and listen because it's easy for me to throw around some statistics or these headlines say this, or I'm in this camp and to kind of, um, argue the issue in a way instead of just trying to understand it if someone is hurting and they come to your house you don't want to start debating the point you just want to understand every now and then we get a glimpse of how american white christianity has its own bubble that's different even from the bible absolutely and, and we assume that's christianity because we've been raised with it it's been all around us and then we realize oh well, well this might be really different than the culture that the Bible was written in and the culture of Christians the Bible mm. describes. So it's almost as if you, you, you saw yourself as sort of almost in some sense separate from the Bible, biblical mm -hmm. Christianity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that, because I, I remember those days as well, and it, that was a burden to you. You mm. felt you felt ignorant. You I felt definitely biblically did. ignorant in some I ways. I definitely did. Yeah. yeah, not just culturally. So, so uh, then what happened? What's right, so out of that... Um, I started to wrestle with it more and more spiritually. I started to think about it. We had lots of conversations. Um, Brittany and I had more conversations at that point. Um, and then I heard about this curriculum. Um, it's called Be the Bridge. It's been created by this woman named Latasha Morrison. And she created this um, curriculum as just a way to get people to talk about race. They just—it's just discussion questions to get people to, to come together as Christians. It's, it's as sisters in Christ. It was geared toward women that sisters in Christ would come together and talk about their differences and their similarities in knowing Jesus. Was geared toward women. Um, it's, yeah, it's initially initially it was. it was, and it's been revamped to be for women and men. But I started looking at it. It was a free resource. 
And I thought, I wonder what this would be like. I wonder if we could get together in a more formal setting, not just sit down and as friends kind of yeah. talk about it, but could we to get together and have a bigger conversation in a group um, and to have it consistently every week over a be semester to, to be committed to the conversation and to wrestle with the hard things, not just individually, but collectively as um, women at the crossing. And so Gimel and Brittany and I met about a year ago, and we started looking at the curriculum and brainstorming people who would be a good fit for our group. And so we got eight of us together. We started last September, and we just started working our way through some of the questions. So this is August, so mm-hmm. yeah. 11 months ago you mm-hmm. started. Yeah, it's crazy to think about. It's gone fast. What's the racial breakdown? Uh, you have eight women. Yeah, so we have four white women, four black women. Um, and the thing that was also really cool about our group is that everyone's coming from a different perspective. So there's um, women of different ages. There's um, women who didn't all grow up in the same region. Uh, and then we have the um, perspective of a woman who didn't even grow up in this country. In America, yeah. yeah. So, so the purpose of the group was simply to have an ongoing committed conversation about race mm-hmm. Within the context of a relationship. Within the context of relationship. And having the gospel as a guide and the gospel as a, our connector. So um, our goal wasn't necessarily to figure out who's right and who's wrong about certain issues, but it was to... That would be tempting, wouldn't it? Yes, because that's kind of a cop-out, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Because if you really have to face the different ideas that someone else has but you're committed to loving them like Christ and to love because you're there for the gospel. You're there as Christians. If you're committed to loving the other person, even though they believe differently from you, then that's, that's the gospel at work. And it's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. It was one of the few times that I really felt like, wow, I am living, or at least I hope I was living out the gospel or trying to, because it could, it's easy to get complacent in your everyday life. Like you're hanging out around people that look, look like mm-hmm. you or believe the same like you or mm-hmm. maybe um i can't speak for every small group but sometimes when you go to a small group it can kind of be like surface level mm-hmm. when you really get into something as deep and as um ingrained as race which is an, an issue of identity um then you really have to be intimate with people and be vulnerable mm-hmm. and you have to be committed to working things out so it definitely was not an easy situation we had so Plenty let's of just arguments. Let's yeah. be honest. Yeah, well, there, I was going to say, were there arguments? Were there times where mm-hmm. you were really genuinely angry at the person of another race? For sure. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that makes talking about race so difficult at times is that everyone comes in with their stuff and everyone has uh, baggage that feels really, really personal. Um, and so I, I can like speak for myself. Even a couple months before we met, I was carrying around uh, a lot of anger and frustration towards the church at large. Um, I participated in some of the events on campus. And so I was at a lot of those demonstrations and slept the in Black a Black Lives Matter demonstrations. Did, yeah. Did, yeah, a lot of those um, things. And to look to the left of you and the right of you and to see people who aren't part of the church community was very confusing to me um, because I am of the belief that it isn't just a, pol- a political issue or a social justice issue. I think that it is a biblical issue. Um, and so I think that I came in definitely with some of those feelings of, you know, God, if this is something that the church should care about, um, and this is something that I as a Christian care about, like, 
just show me people in my community who care about this as much as I care about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that everyone came in with fairly similar feelings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I definitely or felt that way too. They were there Maybe because they wanted the, to be there and they wanted to talk about this issue. Yeah. 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 Whether it was from a, I don't understand, I need a place to safely ask questions like Rachel was speaking to, or if it was from a place of, you know, I want you to get it, but I also have hurts and things that I need to be able mm-hmm. to process and unpack in an environment that's safe for me as well. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I felt I felt a lot of uh, doubt, too. I, I, I came to a point where I didn't believe that the church was the answer. Even if I told you in my mind, like, technically it is because, apparently, you know, Jesus is the answer mm-hmm. to every question. Yeah. But um, good church person there in <laughs> my heart, doubt, answer Jesus. <laughs> in my heart, I really doubted. I was like, mm-hmm. God, the church is not mm-hmm. the answer to uh, racial division. Yeah. yeah. And I don't see it. You know, I've seen that the church has hurt black people a lot, and um, I How didn't can believe that's been it. part of the problem be part of the solution? Yeah, and I didn't believe in the power of the gospel. Mm-hmm. I really didn't in, in this topic. So to be in this group, really, God just blew me away. Just the two commands, love God and love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And the love your neighbor, that's there's the answer. Like, love is the answer. Mm-hmm. Loving other Christians in a way that's intentional, in a way that you want to listen, you want to empathize. And even if you don't agree, try to understand. Or even if you if you disagree, period, like at the end of the day, you're still brothers and sisters in Christ, you know? Mm-hmm. And to be able to engage in those conversations periodically was, I really realized, like, this is the answer. Relationship is the answer, you know? Mm-hmm. To be in relationship with people that are different from you is the answer to racial division. And that's not even like necessarily a new concept for the church, like civil rights era, early civil rights era. Um, You know, there was clergymen of all colors Mm -hmm. out there on those front lines, you know, in the, in the slave era, in the underground railroad, like that was, that was a project that took like the labor of black people and white people. So it's just kind of interesting that we're in this point in the church where we don't think that that's a thing that's yeah 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 unfortunately it was on both sides i mean you had church people probably christians genuine on both sides of the racial issue even on both sides of the slavery issue which is hard for us to imagine yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. but it's a great example of how you get into your own blind spot and you think that's christianity so you came into this group rachel with the motive i've got ignorance i've got an uneducated blind spot i need to understand and so you, you started the group in, in, in your quest to understand better. Has mm-hmm. it been successful? Oh, absolutely. Uh, along the way I learned, though, it wasn't just about knowledge and growing and understanding the terms and understanding um, the news. It, it became more um, introspective. I had to wrestle with a lot of... Um, white guilt at times. I had to think about where were some roots of racism in my my own life, but not only in my own life, my my family's life and my family history and the little things that you kind of pick up when you're a kid that were said to you that kind of take root. I had to really go back and think about what are things that I've said and done. Um, The group became a place to confess past sins that I had never even been aware of that I'd carried. It became a place to um, wrestle with what does it mean to to be white? Can I, can my identity as a white person? Can I have pride and joy in that without being um, so stuck on my white privilege or being ignorant? I had to think about what does it mean to. What's your answer? 
I'm still wrestling with it, to be honest. One of the first questions we discussed is, what is your culture? <laughs> that and was the first question, and we were all <laughs> what like, is Gimel, your culture? Yes. Gimel, I mean, we've already heard about her culture. Mm-hmm. And Brittany, we talked all about her culture. And Andre, everyone went around, and it came to the white women in the group. And we were like, I don't know. I uh, I mean, I guess I'm, girls? I'm a mom. <laughs> I grew up in Colorado. I mean, it, there was nothing to kind of hinge on. This is where I'm from. This is what I do. We realize we're very individualistic. And so as white people, that is almost our privilege in a way. We we do our own culture. We have our own individual. Have we don't have to. We don't have to collectively um, band together with other people around a common experience. Um, in a way that's kind of hard to realize and, and there's sadness in white culture as well. If you look back at our history and, um, even in the church to understand that and to be aware of it and then to have it redeemed in a way to have Christ speak into it and to show us that he, um, he can change hearts. He can change my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, it has been a deeply spiritual year and mm-hmm. I feel that I've grown more as a Christian this year than in any other of the 17 years that I've been here because I've had to walk out some of these really hard things with Mm. people very different from me. That's interesting. So you have been all saying this is a part of this is how the gospel speaks into our cultural differences and how it speaks into our racial differences and how the gospel speaks into the racial tension in our country. And Again, I want to go back to the fact that churches have been on both sides of this issue. So it's not as Mm -hmm. if churches have been on the right side and we're always trying to get culture to do the right thing. A lot of times, if you just understand history in America, the church has been on the exact wrong side of the issue and has been a leader um, in in propagating the wrong side of the issue on slavery and and, and in in the racism, even after slavery. So we have to, as Christians, white Christians, we have to own that, I think. I think even though I wasn't there and I've never met a black person with the last name Cover, so I don't think my family had any <laughs> slaves. Uh, at the same time, I'm part of a culture that has to, uh, that has to own, I think, yes. um, our role in creating this mess, even if it goes back centuries. I just don't think we're being biblical if we don't. And, and and I know it's hard to understand this unless you get the concept in the Bible of the of that everybody's part of a collective when it comes to their family, when it comes to their culture, when it comes to their generations. So you have, for example, in, in Nehemiah, I think it's Nehemiah 9, might be 8, where a, a revival breaks out. They're listening to the scriptures for the first time, and it says they confess the sins of their ancestors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That concept of confessing the sins of our ancestors is very foreign to Americans. We see ourselves as individuals. Right. Mm-hmm. We see ourselves as a, as a person of one, and I'm only responsible for what I personally have done. But there really is, I think, a, a generational sin that we do well to own, and 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 therefore, when we own it, I think... It helps bridge the gap that is forming between the two races within the church. Mm-hmm. So tell me about how you think the gospel has spoken into this hurt, mm-hmm. frustration, ignorance, um, division, mm-hmm. the lack of belief or dis- your despair that the church wasn't the—how could the mm-hmm. church be the answer when it's been part of the problem? How has the gospel—how have you understood the gospel better as it speaks into these issues? I think for me, 
like Rachel, you were talking about how you had to go through a process of repentance as well. I had to go through a process of repentance as a black person because I held a lot of bitterness in my heart and a lot of anger towards people that were made in the image of God, um, white people, regardless of what people say or don't say, I cannot, it's not right for me to think of someone just because they're white, that they're, you know, racist or that they, you know, are out to get me. Um, those are so things that in my you heart. you called me an old white guy a few months ago, <laughs> <laughs> have you repented of that or are we still working through all that? That was a different situation. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> no, but it really, God really just ingrained in my heart, like you have just as much of a responsibility to love your brothers and sisters as they have to love you. Having said that, I think there is, there's room for righteous anger and there's room to, to keep my ear out and to, um, to identify what is wrong and what someone said. But God really taught me not to see the person as the problem, but the principalities, the powers, whatever's at work in that person's life, that's what you need to fight against mm -hmm. and not that person. So that really freed me. I think that's really me. good. I had not considered that with this issue, but I think that's yeah. actually, yeah. That freed me to be, to be bold and to be confident and to be hard, hardliner against racism because it is a sinful thing. It is something from the devil and it is at work in our society and our, and you know, it makes us hate other people, makes us be suspicious, both sides be suspicious of each other. It, God has given me a boldness to fight against that while at the same time, and sometimes I might have to say difficult things to people. You're an old white guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that might be difficult to hear, but um, that won't make me love that person less. Mm -hmm. And it won't make me give up on that person. Even if it means maybe we won't talk about these issues anymore for now to preserve the relationship. At least like that love for that person is still there. Um, so the gospel has power. That's what I've realized. Mm. Cause this is one area where I thought it's hopeless. Like there's no answer, but Jesus really does have the answer. God has the answer for these, for this issue in particular. If we live out the gospel as it's laid out in scriptures to love our neighbor, to fight against what's evil, but to not um, demean people or to dishonor the image of God in people, then it really can be achieved. And that will involve a lot of, hard work, moments where you have to be vulnerable, moments where you have to admit that you're wrong, um, or even moments where you have arguments and it's really difficult, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and moments where you're hurt, but we need to work through those. If you're hurt, you know, work it throughout with someone, cry all you need to cry, get together with people, whatever it is. Listen so, to Beyonce together. Listen to Beyonce <laughs> together, watch <laughs> Lemonade. Cover <laughs> But it really, that's what it really means. Beyonce. The gospel mm. has power. And that's one thing God has shown me through this process this past year. Rachel, you mentioned that you've grown spiritually. I've grown spiritually because I realize God is who he says he is. Mm. And what Amen. he says in the Bible, the promises he makes are true. And if you live that out, like he, you know, and I know it sounds, it might sound like people who are listening, like a hopeless situation, but I'm telling you, even in little it's things, not. like it's not like the crossing all of a sudden has like half, 50% of crossing is black people or that the problems are gone. They're not gone. Mm -hmm. They're still there, but there's hope. Like there's my, my hope is in Jesus knowing that if I, even the smallest change, even just one person I talk to, one relationship I gain 
is is important and good and valuable to to God. I've mm-hmm. learned so much and I'm so grateful for this group for what God has been doing and God will continue to do great things and is already doing great things at our church in Colombia and that's what I've learned. Let, let, let me let me let me just switch gears slightly here and talk about so with this issue at the crossing do you think the crossing is welcoming to African Americans? <laughs> the pause. Was that, a, was that an awkward question? <laughs> um, I don't want to speak for everyone here, but I think that this would be a pretty common thought: is that a lot of times, as a black Christian in a predominantly white church, you have to choose between your blackness and your Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that very early in my time at the crossing, tell me, tell me, you can't just say something like that and move on. Tell me what you mean by that. You have to, that you, I think, yeah. So I think that sometimes there has been times where I feel like, oh, wow, like this is something that I shouldn't care about or maybe, um, isn't a, a care that the church should have. And this is like just a quote unquote black issue. You know, I'm wrestling. And I imagine you have a hard time differentiating sometimes what's a black issue and what's genuinely should be a church issue. Right. Um, and so the fact that you have to separate the two and that people tell you you have to separate the two is what the where the conflict is. Yeah. So let, the, me, let, me, let me push back a little bit, though, because it would seem to me I'm, if I'm a listener to this podcast, I would be thinking right now. Just as you can fall into a white American Christian bubble. It seems like you can fall into a black American Christian bubble and not be biblical. And I, it has to work both ways if the human condition works both ways. So is there a possibility that maybe, I'm just pushing back here, mm-hmm. that black American culture can shape your view of Christianity and your view of the world? No, I think that that's a pretty fair statement. Um I think that I would agree with it because, like you said, it goes both ways. I'm not asking you to know what those areas are any more yeah. than I know the areas that are my white American Christian yeah. culture is I, shaping yeah, I my Christianity. But I think what I mean by that is when I um, turn on my TV and I see yet another kid that looks like me or my brother or my sister or my little cousin, um, you know, dying, quite frankly, I'm carrying that into church and I'm mm-hmm. feeling the weight of that. Um but I don't, I don't feel like church is necessarily the safest place to go with it versus my, in my opinion, my first instinct should be able to go with someone and pray about these mm-hmm. things and, mm-hmm. you know, f- feel the weight of that in like, that's a tragic situation, but also feel the hope of this is not, you know, what we're promised eternally. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that that's what I mean by I think that's sometimes really good, there's that struggle. So I think what you're saying, and I think that's really important issue. There are things that are happening in the culture a police shooting of a black person who seems defenseless, seems unarmed. You don't know all the, you and I have talked about this Mm -hmm. in the office. You don't know all the the story. I don't know all the story, but we make opinions and we have conclusions. Um, But you find yourself genuinely getting upset at these stories and it causes you to come into a predominantly white church upset Mm -hmm. that you feel like a predominantly white culture is routinely victimizing its black citizens in ways that they don't victimize white citizens. 
you're feeling that way. Yeah. Now, whether or not I think that's true or anybody else thinks that, that's not the issue we're talking mm-hmm. about. Right. This is how you're genuinely feeling when you come into church on a Sunday morning in a predominantly white church. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to help our listeners understand that that would be hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not, we're not saying anything's right or wrong right now at this point. We're just saying that yeah. would be emotionally. The general feeling of The it. feeling yeah, would be hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say that our tendency to want to argue the point mm-hmm. is part of the problem because it is irrelevant what all of the facts are. If my sister is in church hurting yeah. over an issue and yeah. wrestling spiritually with something, I don't think that's the time to try to talk you out of it or did you see this or did you see that or or to assume that I'm right and I need to explain something to you. Um, that is the time to, to hurt with someone who's hurting and to we just... Yes, yeah. to keep mourn quiet, with those who mourn. to mourn with those who mourn. And I think around this issue, we don't. I think it is very easy to say, gosh, that's sad that happened. I don't know what to do about it. I mean, I think that's a really good everybody's point. Everybody's like, struggling. Push it to the side and be let's, like, well, let's let's Jesus, you yeah, know. Yeah, Jesus is the answer. Yeah. Don't be so upset. Let's have hope. And there's truth in that. But I think we don't often get there's the There's a lack weight. of acknowledgement of and that's that's the division that's the feeling of choosing between being black and being a christian Mm -hmm. you feel like you have to put all because being black comes with all of these societal societal weight in all areas so whether you're the only black person in the school or Mm -hmm. whether how you're represented in the media you know now we're seeing more and more black tv shows but years ago growing up i couldn't see someone that looked like me be a lead a protagonist in a movie in a positive way or dolls when we're talking about dolls all my all my barbie dolls all my um baby dolls that i played with were white it was very difficult to find black ones so that does something to the psychology of a person mm-hmm. it's a weight that you carry you're constantly having to fight the idea that you don't belong you don't deserve to be a part of the society you don't deserve to be here you're like your skin color makes you lesser mm-hmm. and even if people don't intend to do that or um they're like well i don't see you as a black person you know i see you as a regular person or whatever it is to be colorblind um that's still there's still consequences being black even in the statement yeah well, I don't see there's still consequences exactly there's still consequences to being a part of a sinful society yeah yeah that is marred by racism we cannot deny the history mm-hmm. and um it, it is affecting our society even today so when somebody comes as a black person i can't divorce that from who i am so if God says, come to me, all you who are weary, and he's invited me into his kingdom, into his family, and he's brought me into his family, um, I believe that God welcomes all of me with the black stuff, with being in the society. So why should I have to choose between those two? Or why can't the church and other you know, people accept me as well and take all of me, even if you don't understand all of me, just take it embrace it talk to me about it you know try to be helpful or pray with me or try to understand and listen like that's all we want an acknowledgement like you were talking about yeah. Brittany. Mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and i think it goes back a little bit to what you were saying rachel earlier it's it, the, the, the more you trusted gamel the more you were able to listen to a very mm-hmm. different perspective and i think that's how it is i think we have to learn to grant each other the benefit of the doubt that's right and mm-hmm. say if if somebody i trust is upset over something well maybe they got it wrong but, yeah. or maybe i got it wrong but I, I i i trust 
that they're not idiots mm-hmm. and they're not upset over a boogeyman. They're upset over something they think is real and maybe 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 it is more than I think. I should listen. That's right. And mm-hmm. I think that that's for sure a place that our church is moving towards. Um, so to finish the, finish that question, like there are definitely times where I have felt you know uh, not welcomed, um, but I think that we're moving towards a point where you know everyone can feel like this is a a safe environment in a place that they can worship freely and be accepted for what makes you feel not welcome mm-hmm. uh i think that there's a difference between oh hey black folks come to church here we want black people here yeah. and uh i want to get to know you mm-hmm. and i want to understand your experiences and i want to understand how um, we can make your worship experience on a sunday morning you know more than just I'm going to get up at 930 and go to church really quick and then leave right away and not talk to anybody. Um, I think that that's that this is a pretty important distinction to make because a lot, I think that a lot of places would say that they are diverse or that they do, um, you know, make black folks feel welcomed and have that have more of that first mindset than their second mindset. Is there anything a white person going to the crossing can do to be part of the solution to to meet the challenge we have right now in our culture of racism? I think pray number one. Um, go to God, you know, in turn, you know, ask God, reveal in me anything that I need to improve, anything that I need to learn, and pray for. Um, the members of color that go to our church and that might be feeling isolated in some way or another. And be aware that they probably do feel isolated. Yes, yes. And two, like, don't be afraid to come up to a person of color and just start up conversation or because to be friends with them than, than coming up yes or just trying to ignore and be like okay i don't want to acknowledge that you are a person of color mm-hmm. it's okay to acknowledge that they are a person of color that they have a different experience than you so go to that person try to be friends with them if you can try to make friends of color if you can i know it's really difficult in Colombia and don't be too hard on yourself if you feel like there aren't enough black people or you know I I don't have a lot of black friends or a lot of people of color as friends. Like, that's okay if you don't. Um, But if you do have an opportunity to be friends with someone, be friends with them. Invite them into your home. There's something powerful when when you open up your home to a person of color. And you don't have to right away start talking about race or talking about all the stuff that's going. Just be in relationship don't (laughs) yeah (laughs) just be in relationship yeah yeah the people in my life um that i've come to appreciate these last couple years and like what that looks like and i'm super thankful for the pilkingtons and the sodies because before we you know ever have a hard conversation about a thing or there's a question to be asked there they just got to know me as a person Mm -hmm. um and all of those other conversations came second because we knew one another. Um, and there was a comfort level there to go into those kinds of things. Yeah. The horse one of the, the most powerful things for me, I think Rachel mentioned a little bit, was during while all the Mizzou stuff was going on, um, I, I saw a person that I had met at the crossing, you know, face to face, who seemed very nice to me, you know, to my face. But then they had made an insensitive comment um on facebook and that really upset me because it was the first time that i kind of came face to face with wow a person can be really nice to me but has all these 
in my mind, wrong ideas about black people. And they go to my church. Mm-hmm. That really upset me. And I did a Facebook post, which today I wouldn't do that. But you know, <laughs> I, I remember <laughs> reading that post. I was honest about um, the somebody's hurt. Somebody's got to talk to Gimel. <laughs> I was honest about the hurt that I was feeling. The, sure. the best thing that the Johnsons did is they called me and they said, do you want to come over to our house tonight and have dinner with us? That was the best thing that anybody could have done for me because, and they sat there and they just listened to me. They listened to my hurt. I even have tears in my eyes thinking about it. But it was such a salve to a wound to feel like, wow, you care about me and what I'm feeling and you're listening to me and I can come to you with this stuff if I need to. And we won't all agree on everything. You know, it helps sometimes if you do agree, but (laughs) we won't all agree on anything. But if I feel like no matter what, you are my brother and sister in Christ and that you you love me, then that makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. So just be a friend. And that came way after our relationship started as well. Like we were friends mm-hmm. before. We had the music thing in common. I liked hanging out with them. Um, but when those conversations do come up, just be sure to listen and to empathize and have compassion and to consider another point of view. And for black people, we have to do that as well. But um, but if you're a white person goes to the crossing, I think those are the f- a few things that you can yeah, do. And something to add to that, I think, is um, when there are people in your circle saying things that, um, you know, you deem to be inappropriate or what have you. Like, or just hurtful. Or hurtful. Yeah, don't be afraid to speak up, you know, just because there's... Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not on Facebook, maybe speak to them. Yeah, yeah. in person. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, beca- just because... Uh, I think a big part of it and a fear that there can be sometimes is that you get me when we're face to face, but, but what is it like when you're with your friends and someone says something? And so I think that there is a general boldness that Mm -hmm. has to come with it. And Rachel, you can speak to this, Mm -hmm. but that's probably the toughest part as a white person. It's not engaging in the conversation with Gmail or with Brittany, but with uncle Ronnie, you know, at Thanksgiving. I think so. that's the biggest thing. Uncle so, Ronnie. Huh? Is, that, okay. <laughs> is that a white stereotype? I don't know. Uncle that was Ronnie. the first name Uncle that Ronnie. came to my mind. <laughs> Uncle Bob. I, I like apologize it. all Uncle Ronnie. Uncle Bob. I feel that, um, it's one, Dave, you asked, um, what can a white person do? I think it is going up to people who are different than you. And it feels weird. Like, oh, am I going to specifically go talk to someone? Hard not to be insecure Because they're moment. black yeah. or they're different than me. But... I've become comfortable in doing that. I specifically Mm -hmm. seek people out on Sunday morning who are different from me and age and race and different because I want to make sure that they know they are welcome. Um, I'm not expecting to be best friends with them off the bat, but I always feel that that's an important thing to do, not just to seek for seek out my white stay at home mom friends and, and talk to them on Sundays. We always feel awkward in those situations, but you'd rather err on the side of over friendly than dismissive. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look to sit next to them sometimes on Sundays as well. Um, but going back to what Brittany was saying, being in relationships with someone is the key mm-hmm. that will change how you view racism and how you view um, loving people, not just when you're with somebody of color, but as a white person, when I go back into my predominantly white circles so that I can um, speak into some of these issues with my friends. But that didn't come from one conversation. That came from true friendships. Mm -hmm. Because now when somebody says something or I see something on the news, I picture Brittany's face. I Mm -hmm. picture Gimel's face. And I see how they're taking something. It has become my issue because these are my friends. I like that. So in some sense you're saying it took eight months of, or excuse me, 11 months of hard work 
just to get to where you're at now with mm-hmm. the group. If, if, if people listening wanted to consider starting a group like this, how would they go about doing that? Mm. Well, that's, I think we are happy to help. So if anyone yes. wants to contact us and talk about it, we are happy to do that. Um, what was that material again that you used? The material that we've used is called Be the Bridge, be the bridge to racial unity and um latasha morrison created it they are non-for-profit now i think Mm -hmm. the resource i think is ten dollars um it's something that you could go through with a smaller group of friends a larger group of friends having been through it you recommend it i definitely do it's very good there's also if you join their facebook page um, be the bridge um, there are several resources on there that are very helpful. One in particular is called Whiteness 101, and it will walk you through what do these terms mean? Um, what do people get upset about when you know you hear a term like white privilege? It will Tupac, explain those Tupac. things. Yeah. <laughs> it will help you with those things. Um, so that's a good place five. to start. Yeah. yeah, I think that's really good. And I think it starts with just what you said, a desire to get to know people of a different race, and that's awkward. But it, it takes a risk, and it's the desire to be, if I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the side of over-friendly instead mm-hmm. of being uh, too insecure to do anything about any of this. And you'll make mistakes along the way, yeah. and I pray that there are people in your lives who are gracious enough to accept those. I mean, that as black people, we have that's our responsibility as black Christians, too, mm. to make room for people's faults, like the Bible says, you know? Yeah. Um but so don't be afraid to make mistakes. It's going to be hard and mm-hmm. it's messy. All yes. relationships are messy, but yes. specifically in this area, it's really messy. But the go- living out the gospel is messy, mm-hmm. you know? It always so- is. Well, I am really appreciative of you guys taking some time out to talk. Gamal, it's great for our listeners to know a little bit more about you. When they see you on stage singing on a Sunday morning, they know a little bit about the things that you care about and about your background and uh, Brittany, I think it's comforting to people to know that there's somebody like you down at Crossing Kids when they bring their kids down there, regardless of race. They know there's somebody down there who cares about them and cares about issues that are that are important in, in our culture and also important in the church. And Rachel, I and also, by the way, they'll know who's really in charge of the crossing when they come to the front <laughs> desk. They see you sitting there. And all of us are just puppet figures. Uh, Rachel, and I think you you being at Crossing Kids as well, I think we forgot to mention that, but you've been serving in Crossing Kids. You were on our staff for a long time, but you're now you're on, in some say, in some ways part-time staff uh, and serving as a, a super volunteer as well. And uh, it's great to know that somebody like you is in charge of lots of things like writing curriculum and uh, all that. And I, and I think when they see Scott leading worship, they'll know uh, who his wife is and a little bit more about her as well. Thank you for joining us for this episode of A Bigger Life. A big thanks to Rachel, Brittany, and Gimel for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about the ministry they're involved in, you can email bethebridgecomo at gmail.com. Be sure also to visit the National Ministry website at beabridgebuilder.com. This episode of A Bigger Life was produced by Gimel Sabingo and audio engineered by Tim Worstel. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time.